Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we continue with part two of a two-part series of excerpts from the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. Ernesto Portillo Jr. moderated this panel entitled Growing Up Latino, Coast to Coast, and on the Border. Bridging the continental, intellectual, and compartmental divide in America can be challenging at best for Latinos and soul-numbing at worst. Award-winning author Luis Alberto Urea, Sesame Street's beloved Sonia Manzano, Maria, and Chicano satirist Lalo Alcaraz of syndicated cartoon strip La Cucaracha Notoriety embrace and claim the creative energy culled from adversity. Luis, do you consider yourself an insider or an outsider? I'm kind of an insider in Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we're perpetual outsiders, no mm -hmm. matter what happens. Um, but, you know, the tides change. And I, I, I have to say, I mean, of the three of us up here, here's Gandhi right here. I mean, you, <laughs> you think about how many, how many children this woman right. helped raise and transformed the message. You know, the power of being seen for who you are and told it is good who you are and who your people are, that's a good thing, is so important. So in that sense, I feel like any one of us in the arts, you know, insider in the lives of the people who are kind enough to look at our work and read it. And, you know, sooner or later, those tides start to change things and I believe for the better not for the worse a lot of people fear all these changes happening but it's you know it's always a, a state of change mm -hmm. we're in seasons you know and things f grow bloom recede seed come back and right now I just think it's it's time I think America aside from all the rage it seems to me hungers for each other that's the thing I see. So insider, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm an insider in an industry, though the industry I'm in is treating me nicely, uh, you know, and I'm very thankful for that. Sonia, you were treated nicely in your years at, on Sesame Street. However, were you criticized by, by other Latinos for not being Latina enough, for not being Puerto oh. Rican enough? Uh, no, no, never, never. I, and I think it's because I was very lucky. The people who created that show, they, it was like a, like the perfect storm. It was the times, and it was these particular individuals, and they really wanted me to be myself. They they wanted me to dress like I would dress. They wanted me to speak like. I mean, I went a little overboard. I could have tweezed my eyebrows a little bit more often. <laughs> I was just gonna be there, but you know, I would have a little monito because that's how you know I saw. You know, I went a little, but they they really wanted me to be myself, and I think that that's. You know, if you are true, your message will go further. And, it'll, and all of a sudden, everybody knows you. The one, one grain of truth goes further than a, a lot of uh, yes. mumbo-jumbo. And I think that, that that was the reason that people say, oh, I know you, or I feel like I know you, or, uh, that, or um, you know, they don't really know me. I just remind them of when they were sitting on their mother's laps and they were, you know, watching this, this, uh, this show and their minds were spinning. 
Uh, so, but I, you know, I was lucky, you know, in that instance that they just mm -hmm. allowed me to be myself and truthful, and I think it's paid off. Lalo, do you feel that uh, when you're out in public, you you have to be Lalo Alcaraz, creator La Cucaracha, <laughs> now uh, helping out in Border Town? Do you get tired of being real Chicano all the time? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. Um, <laughs> Yeah, somebody called me, uh, uh, somebody in um, a producer I worked with years ago called me Charlie Chicano. Oh. And I'm like, really? I think my reputation precedes me, but it's not really, I'm not a snarling uh, beast with a giant Pancho Villa hat and, uh, <laughs> and, and carrilleras and uh, I'm not on a white horse or anything. I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm, I've, I'm mellowed out. Uh, I think the the twenty the twenty five year old me was a lot more of a horrible person than than I am now, um, and, uh, and I think that comes you know with experience and um, so yeah no I'm I'm uh, I I created my own niche I've been told and uh, you know it's sad that uh, in comic strips you know there there's uh, it applies to other things the rule of one like in the comics page when they have one minority comic strip that's it. The limit has been reached, you know, and it's really sad because it's just another, it's another thing that's not diverse um, is, uh, you know, American pop culture can tend to be that way in, in many areas. And uh, so I, I don't mind, uh, you know, carrying the torch, uh, but, um, you know, it, there's, there's plenty of room for other people to step up. And like Luis Alberto Urrea? Yes. Uh, uh, do you draw? Because <laughs> I'm screwed if you draw. <laughs> Let me just enter. You might find this interesting. You know, when I when I was a kid, we would go. The only times I saw Latin performers, my mother would go to Mexican movies in the Bronx. So I was obsessed with Sarita Montier, yeah. and so these are movie stars of the fifties. Yeah. And be, because I saw that she was visible, I would say. I could probably be Mexican. I could use, so I would go through these phases where I ran through the house dressed up like I saw these, uh, uh, you know, with the shawl and, and the skirt and everything. And because awesome. uh, kids want to fit in, they want to find where they are. And, and for me, it was those early 50s movies. That's and Luis, where did you find your niche growing up, where, fitting in? Again, Tijuana's in a house, but so is San Diego. Oh yeah, he's in a house. And um, I uh, my niche was fitting out, not in being outside. Yeah, yeah. I I um, I didn't. I told you I I didn't quite know where to fit in. And when we left, even though I I wasn't in love with Barrio Logan because it was not fun for me, um, and we we left because some of some street violence that mm -hmm. included me in fourth grade. I thought, wow, you know, I like I like. Ricky Tiki Tavi, what's going on, man? <laughs> and we moved to a white suburb, and that was really weird. Where? Claremont. Claremont. Claremont, baby. Or as we like to say, South La Jolla. <laughs> but it's, it's really by the, by, the air, by the Marine Air Base. Really. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and and uh, we were, now it's, it's, a, it's you know, it's, it's a kind of a Chicano neighborhood, but at the time, we were the first mixed family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the very first day, I've told this to, uh, before, but we, we, we got to our, our neighborhood and my dad, Tijuana style, parked his car in the neighbor's driveway. 
right? Communal. And the guy came out, you goddamn Mexican, get you, Mexican, Mexican, Mexican. And my father went out and he moved the car and he came to me and he said, you see, they're all racists. <laughs> and suddenly, you know, it was like they couldn't figure out what urea was. And so they called me urine, <laughs> diarrhea, and unreal. And when they started calling me unreal, I thought, that is what I shall be. You know, I shall be Claremont's Salvador Dali. Um, and that was my salvation, sort of trying to step outside of this this vortex I didn't quite understand. And Lala will remember, I mean, you know, the names they had for us were all the standards, but the one I heard in Claremont, which I'd never heard before, was Taco Bender. I was like, Taco Bender? Taco Bender. And I was thinking, well, at least it's kind of poetic, right? There's a little bend in a Taco Bell taco. And I was walking down the street with my cousin from Mexico, Jaime, didn't speak English, and a guy drove by and yelled, hey, Taco Bender! And he said, what do you want, cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of took that stuff in and thought, okay, I'm going to chart my own course here. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was I think, what I, what I did. Though I did find that my Tijuana accent miraculously disappeared. Uh, I, can I say something? I, I remembered um, some graffiti from back then. It was pretty common uh, when I was a kid. It, it would say, uh, uh, surfers rule the beach and sand. Beaners rule the taco stand. Oh, <laughs> wow. But now that beaner is really rich. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rubio's fish tacos, yeah. man. Sonia, you mentioned about uh, not visiting the island, Puerto Rico, uh, uh, as, as a young girl, but you went when you were 15 right. years yeah, 14, 15. old. What kind of experience was that for you, uh, going to the homeland, so to speak, going to where the family came from, and how did the Puerto Ricans take to you, or uh, again, as a 15-year-old? Well, I went there with a real chip on my shoulder because mm. I thought it was, you know, uh, my, mo you know the, my parents had to leave there. It was a real macho culture, and my mother was an orphan there and would tell us terrible stories about how they treated her, you know, and, and, uh, and it was very religious and it was very oppressive. So, you know, I went back saying, you can't tell me what you can't treat me like you treated uh, my mother. I have a, you know, I have a high, I'm going to get a high school diploma. And I went there, you know, really ready to, to, to fight everybody for being backwards and, and being poor. And then, then I was hit with the beautiful breeze and the gorgeous mm. Caribbean water and, uh, and all of the, the, the things that are beautiful about the island. And I had to sort of weigh those two feelings of, uh, of this horrible place to, to see it as a beautiful place. And yes, at that time at 15, I really, that was when I wanted to be Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico, not New Yorican. Mm. And there's a different kind of culture. There's a, there's a speed that you uh, have as a New Yorker that's not there. They're, you know, you're, you're more aggressive and you're more outspoken than the people are there, and that was a little um, uh, strange. But, but uh, you know, I embraced it. But there's always, I always feel like, you know, that when they say that when your arm is amputated, you still have a memory of the arm. I always feel that I have a memory of the Puerto Rico of my dreams. Uh. And it's never there. It's not the real place. But it's always un, una memoria. And it's, and it's what I thought of it 
when I was a kid and I listened to him, you know, what, you really drink water out of a waterfall? What, there's gallo singing? So I have this fantasy of it that I'll never lose. And I always go there and, and return with la fantasia of what it could be in my mind. And I think that's just the being a, a result of, of uh, the bicultural tightrope that, that we, we walk on. At this point, I'd like to open up uh, questions from the audience. Uh, I don't know if we have a, a mobile uh, a, a, a mic, but if you have a question, yeah. yes, ma'am, yell it out for Luis. Oh, she asked, do I think, if, has San Diego changed, changed. with prejudice? Mm, I think so. I mean, you know, here, here's, here's the thing about borders, I think. You, you know, you get these, these skewed stories about the border. It's, it's a hideous, blood-dripping scar that forces two warring cultures cheek by jowl. Or it's a seam that joins two cultures in fraternity. And one is groovy and one is dark. And I, I always think about the fraternity part because, like Lalo said, I was used to that little wooden shack border, man. That's what I knew of a border. And to me, Tijuana was where all the cool stuff was. The tortillas, my grandma, cool dogs, music, you know. Um, and I think, I, I think that it, there are elements in San Diego that will never let go of this racial thing. I don't know why. I've never understood it. Obviously, I don't get it, um, but I think it's it's mellowed in a certain sense, and that we live together and we care for each other. I mean, I can't tell you, and you know this because I've I've been here every one of these festivals, how much people not here in Tucson still to this day, in fact, the week I left Chicago, want to talk to me about how Arizonans are book banners. <laughs> how can you go back there? They hate you. I said, no, they don't. We love each other. I said, <laughs> so you're constantly trying to explain things, that we have people who have fraternity and we have people who don't it, all over the world, you know, and you see it happening with Muslim people now. So, you know, it's, a, it's an unfortunate spotlight that just keeps casting around. And uh, I, I, I think they're, uh, you know, this is a different generation. It's a different it, it, generation. It, it's a lot more Mexican than uh, when I was growing up. It is. Yeah, it's and, it, it is. And, you know, our kids have now gone to college. They watch their Sesame Street, man. So I've got yeah. nephews <laughs> who are surgeons. You wouldn't have seen that back in my day, you know. Maybe they did good work on a lowrider or something, but these guys are now, you know, there they're, they're are people who are going into social service as Providers, there are people who are surgeons who are going around and doing doctors without frontiers kind of stuff, you know. And we, you know, success dictates the story. I think that it takes over the narration. You are listening to a panel entitled "Growing Up Latino Coast to Coast and on the Border" from the 2016 Festival of Books on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Another question. Can you wait to... Oh, the mic. What would we tell our younger selves? Is that what you said? Yeah. I, I would tell myself to chill the hell out a little bit <laughs> and not be so pissed off. But in, re it, but in retrospect, you know what? It, it was correct at the time. Uh, and it's a process, you know, you go through. And, uh, you know, I think that's... But I would say, like, you know, come on, don't have... 
Don't have a heart attack, man. <laughs> There's a, a demographic shift in this country from you know the big white country that has little bits of brown and black people. What do you think? Do you think it will lead to more understanding or more hostility? It's going to lead to better food. <laughs> that is absolute. You are so right about that. What's, I, you, you mentioned El Barrio. El Barrio is Spanish Harlem. With the, was Italian, as you said, and then you know, and then it was a big Puerto Rican. It was like a Puerto Rican Central. I was so embarrassed that I'm from the Bronx. I wanted to be at least in El Barrio from Puerto Rican Central, but now. It, it's though it's still a Latin neighborhood. It's full of South Central Americans, and you, I can tell because of the, of the storefronts and the food uh, that is more uh, Central and South American. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's like a it was a Latin neighborhood. It still is a Latin neighborhood, but there's other Latin people that are coming in. Yeah, I, and, and I think those waves. You know, I mean, you've got to keep your sense of humor about you. You know, I, my my wife's from Seattle. She's from a neighborhood uh, by the airport in Seattle, Burien, and it's become kind of Barrio Burien since we've been married, which is really weird because it was as white as you could possibly be, and then all of a sudden it's full of Mexicanos. And, you know, my favorite story of Barrio Burien is going to buy something at a Walgreens, and a guy came around the corner, like Tijuana style, he had a sombrero and a serape over his shoulder with little tiny guitars <laughs> on it. And he was playing ringa chinga chinga ringa chinga. And he's saying, guitar $20, guitar $20. And there was an Asian woman <laughs> coming out of the store. And she looks at him and she starts yelling at him, Are you crazy? I don't have money to spend $20 on a stupid little Mexican guitar. And he looked at her and he goes, guitar $15. Guitar. <laughs> So if you keep your wits about you and your sense of humor that we can appreciate each other, there's a lot of fun to be there's had. There's a lot of fun to be had, quite right. <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I, can I just say real quick, I was in, in Detroit, uh, and the barrio there is uh, called Mexican Town, or one oh, of them. Oh, yeah? Mexican <laughs> Town, it's hilarious because it's all these, it's kind of a tourist trap, but it's kind of like the only place you can get good Mexican, decent Mexican food. And uh, it's right up on the Canadian border. <laughs> so I'm like tripping. And in the sign in the rest, one of the restaurants says, please, no Canadian money. <laughs> and my, my brain is doing flip-flops. I'm like, where am I? <laughs> Next question. Okay. Just a quick question. Any one of you can answer this. We have a particular difficult problem here in South Arizona, particularly Tucson with our educational system. Lack of funding, huge problems. How do you, as authors and characters, um, approach this with trying to get kids educated and motivated to stay in school with your writing? Oh, that's a very tough question. I don't <laughs> know that way, you know. No, solve it. Yes. That's a very tough question. And, and especially now that we're so data driven, we don't want, you know, we want kids to learn facts and give us facts that we give them as opposed to letting them use their imaginations, which is really the way of learning helping them learn more. Uh, you know, if I, if I ruled the world, there would be yeah. more art in school because yeah. then that people would, kids would, you know, I mean, I heard, I heard an educator uh, who thought he had, a, he had a music program and he said music was important because when a kid learns to take a moment to rest, 
two, three, four. It's like executive skills. He's waiting for a second. He's planning ahead, and that that's going to actually help him with his math and his and and his other work. I thought that was a crystal clear example. And anyway, that I would encourage more art in the schools. Any other questions? Yes. Um, I'm a 15-year-old that goes to Sunnyside High School, and I think I am the only like youngest person here. But um, uh, as a student at Sunnyside, it's known as the ghetto, and it's known as um, like we're the South Side and we're the ghetto, and we don't get as much um, like we don't get as much as education. And my teachers, they say like that U of A is mostly filled with white people that graduate. And we, as Mexicans, we aren't likely to get there to college. And I think that that's, I don't, how do you like feel about how Mexicans aren't the ones to graduate and how Mexicans like aren't as um, the ones to get picked? Uh, well, I, I um, if I can jump in, I spoke yesterday to the, uh, LULAC Youth Conference, I was the keynote speaker, and you know, um, I gave a commencement speech at Berkeley uh, at the College of Environmental Design where I went to school uh, last year, and my, I, I, my, I was real nervous about this graduation speech, speech. it was my biggest one, and the, 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 the message I gave to these kids had just gone through four years or their graduate program in architecture, I'm like, you know what, don't sweat it, you know, I told them, you know, like, you you can be like me. I went to school because I knew, and my par my parents knew that um, you should be educated. But I didn't go to school to get trained in in a skill. I mean, I thought I was, and I wanted to be an architect. But uh, I ended up being a cartoonist and a comedian because that's what happened in my life as I was going to college and opening my 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 mind. And I think what I what I told the kids yesterday is, you know. Um, you 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 have to take chances. You have to do stuff. You have to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But you also you know go search for that thing that is your talent. You know, and 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 it will find you. You know, if you just keep at it enough. You know, and and so it's not about you being selected, but it's about you know you selecting yourself for success yes. And, yes. and moving ahead. You know? Let me just. Let me just add to that, that's exactly right. When I was going to college, they didn't pick me either. I mean, I had to get a recommendation from a teacher to, to, to apply to Carnegie Mellon University. So I just applied on my own. It was public access, I could get the, the application at that time. So, you know, exactly what you just heard. Don't wait for somebody to pick you and say, I think you're good enough to do this. You decide that and get the application or, or get the information. That, that interests you. Yeah, you can also come to Chicago and study with me. <laughs> <laughs> Another question back here? Um, Say it loud. Okay, I'm from Nogales, and you know, I have mixed feelings about my hometown. You know, uh, I still go back and forth, my family's still there. I was wondering how you feel about your hometowns. You know, do you like going back there? Or <laughs> what you think about it? It's better now. <laughs> Nogales in the house. Nogales, yeah, right. 
I tell you, I tried to get out of the Bronx my whole uh, uh, when I was growing up, and now I can't stay out of the Bronx. I'm doing stuff in the Bronx every minute, so um, it's a circle. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not a huge fan of uh, San Diego, but um, <laughs> it is nicer. It's easier uh-huh. <laughs> now. Yeah, I used to, you know, I mean, I, I wrote about this in one place, but I, I, I said, you know, for growing up, San Diego to me was hell because it was about poverty and terror of failure and being trapped. I used to tell people I was like a skunk caught in someone's kitchen. I would give anything. I would do anything to bust out of there. And now you go back and they put you in fancy hotels and stuff. And you think, wow, San Diego's kind of cool. I, <laughs> you know, so it's all in perspective. But, you know, the thing about our hometowns and, and you know, I could talk. I have two. So there's Tijuana, too. But um, we're carrying our hometowns, man. We're carrying the people, our, our ancestors and our neighbors and the ones we hated and the ones we loved and the ones we mourned and the ones we celebrate and certainly the ones we miss. And, uh, you know, just think about that. We carry them with us. And what success we have brings success to the people that we care for. And it certainly rubs a little mud pie in the face of the ones that didn't believe in you. Go ahead, next question. Very loud. Yeah, thank you so much for coming to Tucson. We so appreciate it. Uh, I'm the president of our Tucson Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and it means a lot to have you here. Um, within a, you know, a decade, a majority of Arizona will be Latino, and on our chamber, I know we talk a lot about the fast-growing Hispanic market and the economic value of that. In Arizona, Latinos spend $40 billion a year. Do you see that uh, discussion of value or shift in the states in which you work or in your industries? Um, I, I, I can say I just had a meeting uh, at a, a big internet company that does Latino social media stuff, and they're raking in the money, and they're doing advertising um, for USA Networks yeah. and all these cable ne- networks um, by just putting little ads inside, uh, you know, a 20-year-old's Instagram account who does cho- dumb cholo comedy all day long. Yeah. You know, they do like jokes about hot Cheetos. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's it's there's like a big revolution coming oh, yeah. uh, because they they discovered uh, a yeah we spend all the money uh, and uh, and and b we influence other people you know and uh, to spend money and you know and the youngsters to ha- have zero problem mm-hmm. selling out or you know doing insurance ads in their cholo comedy bits, you know? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's a different world, you know? I've seen a lot of interest in cable companies wanting to do Latino kid shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot, uh, like three or four uh, have introduced themselves to me, and so I think that that's a cer- certainly an indication of the audience that they know that's coming or that's here and that they really want to address uh, through. And Luis, are you finding that uh, as a writer or in the industry? A few more writers are... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Um, everybody's looking for stuff. They're, you know, you know what, what people are looking for frantically is Latino, Latina-themed kids' books and YA books. They, they need them desperately. Because one of the secrets, of course, is we make lots of kids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all I want to throw out is, is you know, as soon as, uh, as soon as the Latino... Chamber of Commerce and, and the Raza here take over. Bring back Mexican-American studies, because that would be a really good thing for the we, state. 
We have time for one more question over here in the back. More than anything, I just want to thank you guys for being such a positive role model for all Latinos. I'm also from Nogales, born and raised, border town. All right, Nogales in the house. Spanish-speaking only family, and I actually learned my English from watching Sesame Street. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my parents had to reverse it because it was so much English that they weren't even understanding what I was saying. Oh. So, but I also attribute that to the fact that I am first generation um, college goer, graduate with my master's, and so to the Sunnyside students, I work at Pima um, West Campus. Come see us because yeah. we want to get you to where these guys are. And some of it is natural talent, and some of it is just per just perseverance. Perseverance. But more than anything, I want to thank you guys for being so positive and being such a positive role model, and basically speaking to what our lives have been our entire. Excellent question. And with that, <laughs> with that, I'd like to thank you. Muchas gracias. Thank you for attending this session and for your support of the festival. You've been listening to excerpts from the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. The Arizona Daily Star's Ernesto Portillo Jr. moderated this panel entitled Growing Up Latino Coast to Coast and on the Border. Guests included award-winning author Luis Alberto Urea, Sesame Street's beloved Sonia Manzano, Maria, and Chicano satirist Lalo Alcaraz. This has been part two of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson.